everybody. Welcome back to Writing the Rapids, the show where I, Joe Balecki, talk to writers about writing. Very often those writers have been recommended to me by writers who have previously been on the show. This episode, we have a rejoinder with John Treffery, who is here to talk about his forthcoming book, Massive. John Treffery has been on the show twice before, in 2018, to talk about Platts and the Inside the Castle Press project, and in 2021 to talk about experimental writing with Mike Klein and Mike Correo. More information about Inside the Castle the press and John the person can be found at insidethecastle.org. If you want to help out this show financially, you can do so in three ways. PayPal.me slash NoisemakerJoe. You can just toss me money one time. If you want to be a recurring helper, a patron, let's say, patreon.com slash NoisemakerJoe. We got a lot of big plans coming in this year, and now's a good time to get on the train. Choo-choo. Or you can buy my book. It's called Tired, and it's on Amazon, and I think it's pretty darn good. If you don't want to help out the show financially, but you do want to help the show out, you can do so by tweeting about the show or whatever social media platform is your most followed. You can rate the show the appropriate number of stars on whatever podcatcher you use, and you can just listen all the way to the end of the episode. That helps the algorithm gods as well. Now, that's enough of me asking you to do things for me. Here's me doing a thing for you. It's my conversation with John. for the first time in 2018 and then you came on again for the roundtable episode which is um one of the more successful episodes that we've done no shit um which was i feel like it was in 2021 but i cannot i cannot see it on the yes it was february 2021 definitely in pandemic life i do remember that yeah um and that was, um, we we discussed um, the problems with the term uh, experimental mm-hmm. writing. Um, and I think I'm over that, by the way. Oh yeah. Okay. Let's I talk just, about that. I, I just don't care. Okay. So I I spent kind of the last year like maybe checking out like of stuff Mm. not checking into (laughs) things uh but just trying to um just give myself some space in my life so um i don't really have a lot of concerns about what anybody's saying or doing um (laughs) maybe in a bad way i don't think it makes me very um community oriented but um, yeah, I've, I've just tried to get some space. Sure. I think longtime listeners of this show will know that I'm a community skeptic. I'm just, I'm not certain that that's a concept we need to really worry about too much. I think it's okay for some people. Like I, I get why certain groups of people might want it. Um, but like. I, th- I think putting too much emphasis on it um, really distracts from like what it is we're doing, right? Like, I, I do try to do that. I think it's more that I never really felt, and I don't know if other people online feel like they're part of a community, but I never really felt like I was part of a community um, 
whatever that means. Like I have friends in real life who live in my town. Um, and it's very different than like some stranger online. I always felt like I was just observing and the, the kind of passive observer role feels really powerless and frustrating. And I think that's just the whole, uh, ecosystem of Twitter is just <laughs> feeling passive and frustrated and lashing out. Um, and yeah, it was, is not helpful yeah. for me. Um, and it's not helpful for looking inside the castle and trying to think about what its position or role in any kind of larger community was. So it's been helpful to just, um, pull back more and, try to n not even to pull back and focus hardcore on working, but to pull back and focus on <laughs> my life and my family and things like that. Yeah. So you sent me some, some materials for massive and you've ta been talking about massive for quite a while. I've, I've seen, um, yeah, sorry. <laughs> it's totally fine. I think, I think, Mike Correo a while back did a a review of like part of it that's available, and I know you've posted some place it around places <clears throat> and maybe talked to other people. Um, and I'll confess I haven't been keeping up with it super well. Um, but you sent me a fun little pamphlet that has what sections from it you described it as a roadmap for how the book's going to be laid out. And yeah. Is that what it says in the pamphlet? It says, well, that's what you said in the DMS. The pamphlet says, Oh, okay. Um, there's, I like, don't have it anymore. Cause I sent you my copy. Yeah. I'm, and I'm glad you did because there are notes where it's like bold is this person and italics is this person. So, I, I wish I had like really kind of looked at that before I started trying to read the text um, because uh, it's it it's deceiving it um, it looks simpler than it is um, and I think that's where why I was thinking about experimental literature um, one of the things I don't think we said it in the round table but I think maybe on like Wake Island pod a couple months later, somebody said we're talking about how like experiments are, I'm going to try to do this and we're going to see what happens. Um, yeah. And your books kind of feel like that. Where like when you came on the first time and we're talking about plats and you're like, this is how it's laid out. Um, which is not something I picked up on while reading it. And I think it was like halfway through it at the time. So the latter half of the book, after listening to you talk about it, was a, a bit easier to um, <clears throat> kind of work my way through. Um, and I'm, you know, I'll be the first person to to mention that I'm really uh, bad at at reading this type of thing. Um, yeah. uh, like I just I feel, and and maybe it's maybe you're supposed to to feel lost or or what but like there's this um i don't know non-formalist prose that 
for some reason feels much harder to grasp than just like poetry i don't know it's it's something i'm probably going to spend the next couple of years trying to illustrate with my words but like reading the f text felt a lot more comfortable than reading mm -hmm. um this or platts or um i don't know one of mike's one of correo's works um like i've read enough mike klein to sort of like be able to relax into the like okay it's airy and and ethereal and we're gonna just kind of grab where we can grab and and whatever um the I've, I've mentioned before one of my professors in like one of my earliest writing classes in college talked about how poetry is not a riddle to be solved um uh -huh. and uh that was really easy to take that was really easy to grasp um and i think i i've i've taken it beyond that where like i get i don't know I don't want to say annoyed because it's not super fair, but when people are like house of leaves solved in a YouTube video, I'm just like, we do, do we need to solve it though? Like, it's just a spooky house guys. <laughs> like it makes people go crazy. Like what? Like I know that there there's layers to it. There's stuff with mazes and minotaurs and, and whatever. Um, but like to enjoy something, you only need to let yourself enjoy it um on its own terms uh but this like i'm doing that and then i'm like oh you know what this is divided into columns on purpose what if i read down the columns oh it makes sense now <laughs> like it's still i'm still like learning the rules of <clears throat> of the text um i, <clears throat> I people when the book comes out when massive comes out people will see what i'm talking about but um if I can describe what's on the page, there's words. It's not always justified, um, but you can kind of see every once in a while there is a clear uh, gap in the text that could, it almost looks like a justification, just anomaly, where it's like, oh, look, that space lines up all the way down the page. Um, but if you read, if you treat it like columns and you read down the columns and it starts to make more sense, um, and the notes that you put in were, uh, you know, the italics are one person and underline is another person and bold is another person. And, um, it, it I looks... don't think I'm going to do that. Okay. That's fine. That was, that was notes after the fact of trying to think about how to interesting organize the reading experience but the the pamphlet was not constructed that way mm. it okay. was just like a really um <clears throat> improvisational kind of hmm. let's see what this looks like and, and didn't have and so one of my shortcomings is trying to develop processes for <laughs> uh everything um so i was trying to develop a process that would remove the improvisational aspect of it for formatting and uh, text styles and things like that um okay. <clears throat> i would describe the what you're saying with the columns that that is correct it's 
it's meant to be a three column page. Um, but I describe it as text wrap of text. Mm. So you have, you have text blocks and then you have other text that's text wrapping around text blocks. So sometimes, um, a piece of text will be wider than two columns. Sometimes it'll be all three columns, um, with the goal of you being able to read across a line, even if it goes between three separate texts, um, or to read in a, in a, a little column or a, a plat or whatever, mm -hmm. <laughs> whatever you want to call it, um, or to just glance at a part of the page and read that. And part of the idea <clears throat> and why it's taking so long is that because my expectation is that you would not read it all. Um, and I think the pamphlet form is, is different because it's whatever 30 pages, the expectation is that you read every word. If it's 800 pages of that, the expectation is that you, you just don't read it all. You wouldn't read it all. Um, and so the, the format there is, it's based on some other, um, kind of conceptual constraints that, that started before the project started, like you said, give yourself an experiment that there was that, um, kind of hypothesis or, or roadmap as you described it set out, um, and that kind of gave birth to that type of layout where there's lots of different um, texts on one page that can be read um, piece by piece, can be read um, smooth together, or can be <laughs> not read or could be stared at. It's kind of like the uh, a much more bludgeoning approach than Platts, where Platts was like a rhythmic one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. This is just noise. Um, everything's stitched together. Yeah, it's um, it's a more sort of brutalist uh, smut maker, sort of. Um, <laughs> and it's not going to be in color no it's not in good uh, that would be so expensive <laughs> that would just be too expensive yeah. um but yeah i like I, you know i i find myself always just kind of being excited by new ideas so like i like the idea of having all these voices sort of like collapsed on each other and it feels um, you know, it's like living in a, in a big city and there's all these lives happening and like, how mm -hmm. would you, um, you know, how would you tell that like simultaneous story from like a very far back space? Um, an interesting thing, like, it's an interesting question of like, how do you tell this super grand story? And, um, 
I'm, I'm currently listening to the audiobooks of the Horus Heresy, the Warhammer 40k um, oh, yeah. overarching. There's like 60 books in the series, and I'm on the fourth one, and I notice that like chronologically, it like sets it back several months from the end of the third book so that you can go to a completely different place and see different characters um and as we like approach the end of the third book chronologically you start to see overlaps like it's the same battle and you're seeing kind of like oh over there that's where stuff was happening in book three but we're in this Mm -hmm. book now um and like when you're telling a war story that spans hundreds of years and planet-wide conflicts that like you kind of have to do that um and that you you know for like like fantasy books will do that you'll get a big thousand page fantasy book and each chapter is a different group of people so you're kind of telling Mm -hmm. that um and this is what that makes me feel like it's just like well what happens if you smush it all together and try to make it, yeah. um, I don't know, efficient for, for space. But if it's going to be, you know, an 800 page book, then that defeats the purpose. But I would say the scope is probably similar. Um, it did not start out that way. Um, but I, I mean, I, I started this book with the idea of it being something I could finish in like a year and a half because my other books had both taken seven or eight years and now I'm in year six or seven of this. Um, so kind of expanded into something with a scope more like what you're talking about. Um, but somewhere in the, the early stages of it, it basically all started with reading a Joseph Brodsky essay about Osip Mandelstam and Anna Akhmatova and, and their whole kind of <clears throat> relationship and uh, Mandelstam's wife and uh, other poets at the time. And I don't know, just thinking, hey, that's kind of a, an interesting story of all these people together in, in Russia. Um, and so I did a lot of reading of Mandelstam and Akhmatova and Mandelstam's wife, uh, Nadezhda, and somehow a, a variety of conceptual things arose out of that. And one of the, and I, I don't even know where, but one of the most um, kind of formative things was the concept of block time or eternalism, um, which is like the notion that um, there's no there's not linear time it's that everything all events exist Mm. um simultaneously and that i mean you can say all sorts of things about entropy and um (laughs) i i don't even know i'm not a physicist but um so i took the the concept of that block time and tried to start applying it to the prose and then also the reading experience. Um, So the reading experience is one where everything is happening simultaneously and can be read in an infinite number of ways um, because you can access different events um, 
without having to proceed through other events to get to them. Um, but also then the, the prose has kind of given me a fun project of um, writing everything in present tense. And <clears throat> so like, I can't remember which species of present tense it is, like present continuous or something like that, um, where everything has to be ing. Um, mm. So like any word that I use cannot be a past tense verb. Um, any noun that I use generally cannot be something that looks like a non-present tense continuous word. So like paint mm. <clears throat> is a verb. Um, so you can't say there's paint on the wall. You would have to say there's pigmentation mm. <laughs> or either that or you write about someone painting the wall, even though it might not be happening at that time. If you say the red, you might say someone is painting the room red. And then there's also someone living in that room, hmm. you know, which might be happening at a different time. <clears throat> so it's kind of just given me a, a widening um, project to enjoy of wordplay, of trying to find workarounds for that language constraint. And it's also driven me <clears throat> super into lots of jargon that um would not be uh, misconstrued as a a verb <laughs> that's not present tense um, because it's so specific and it ever gets used outside of the context of being a noun um so yeah that that has driven basically all of the conceptual stuff and then the rest of it <clears throat> is more scopic like you're saying of like building world building well, let's just call it world building i'm not fucking around with terms anymore it's just mm -hmm. world building and trying to create my own version of stalinist russia um with this entity called the ada which is a, a play off of nabokov's book um and there's this figure called the demon and then there's a stalinist figure whose name is alpinist um and then you know it's just so many different things going on and then i developed this little kind of system of these text buckets uh, where i open up a a, a microsoft notepad file and give it a name that's based on you know just bouncing and riffing off of these things from my original readings for the book from Mandelstam and and then his fascination with Dante his relationship with different lovers in his life who are also poets in their lives and um things associated with Russian uh history that I found interesting, like drilling the deepest borehole into the earth <laughs> and then the legends of it, like unleashing a satanic force and 
I don't know. It's just, it's been a very liberating project because I feel like I can write anything that I want and it doesn't matter. And I've, I've just felt so liberated by that because my other two books were so, um, I just felt like I was taking them really seriously. Like I need to write something serious and at the same time, you know, I was writing Die Decay, which was not serious. It was just absurd nonsense from the internet. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this book <clears throat> is much more like that, where I can type out um, a list of all the Emmanuel movies, and that fits in there. Why not? Yeah, that goes in there. Um, or I can write an article fake article about head cheese recipes or what have you that it all seems to just belong in this smear together <clears throat> yeah i i'm a fan of that one of the things that particularly about twin peaks which the more i learn about it the more i know that lynch didn't have as much to do with it as as one might want to imagine but i love how his worlds are kind of like that where he just like has an idea and he's like yeah i want to put that in there so we're gonna make it work we're gonna make it connect um yeah and um i i just i feel like that sort of freedom is so good at making an artist be unique appear unique because like your brain just will pull things from somewhere and it's not going to be like somebody else right so you don't even have to like work that hard to be original you, you just have to like follow where the ideas are coming from um, yeah yeah i'm just writing my interests i mean stuff in these people's lives that I'm not interested in. I'm not trying to do like a biography. Mm -hmm. I just needed an armature to write on. So yeah, I'm just <clears throat> writing about the things that make me feel like writing. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's not challenging to sit down and do something because it's like, why wouldn't I want to write about, uh, I don't know, Rachel White Reed sculpture or Stalinist skyscrapers or the most prolific executioner in history. I mean, all of these things are just things that are like, wow, this is really fascinating. I'll just write a thousand words about it. Yeah. Um... I feel like I'm I'm making the book into a joke or sound like just... <laughs> <laughs> like uh like there's no purpose to it but um i mean in the end i i feel like you just you should just enjoy what you're writing and no book should appear to have any more purpose than any other book i just want to finish it <laughs> yeah i i think that in an art class i had in middle school the we were talking about doing like cartoons and she said, it's not careless line work. It's carefree line work. Um, mm. 
and I I think I think maybe that's kind of what you're getting at, where it's not. I gotta sit down and write this super gritty, gray <laughs> picture. The first third of of um, Stalker sort of Russia story, so that everybody knows how bad living in Stalinist Russia was, <laughs> because they didn't know. There's not enough evidence already. Um, or whatever, right? And like, I love that type of stuff. I'm not, I'm not trying to put it down, but it can be um, limiting to the imagination to do that, to try to laser focus on one thing and and really nail it down. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I, that's my frustration with fiction in general is that it's not. It it rarely is fictional. <laughs> It's like, you know, there's such a an interest in verisimilitude and <clears throat> um, truth or whatever. Like, why why would you care? Like, the fact that I'm writing about Joe D'Amato movies or like um, strip malls or or whatever, those things are not part of Stalinist Russia. Um, I feel like people who write fiction could benefit from some liberation and not feeling like they, they're indebted or indentured to depicting reality in some way, because it's, it's fiction. I mean, like, why do it? if you're not going to be fascinated by it, if you just want to be like this really precise puppet master, um, I, just, I just don't understand that mentality.